This week I'm taking a look back at some of the biggest lessons for all of us from 2020. Some of the most important things to consider in terms of mental health as you're making plans for 2021. And for the first time ever, I'm answering questions from listeners like yourself around the world. So, let's talk. This is Let's Talk About Mental Health, a weekly podcast full of simple ideas for better mental health and well-being. I'm your host, Jeremy Godwin, and I'm an Australian writer and speaker who spent most of the 2010s dealing with severe depression and anxiety, and that led me to change careers to study mental health. In this show, I use my knowledge of psychology, sociology, and counselling, combined with my personal experiences of dealing with mental illness, to bring you a show full of ways to improve your mental well-being one step at a time. Each week I look at one specific topic and go through simple things you can do to improve your mental health. So get comfortable and let's talk about mental health. Hello and welcome to episode 59 and thanks so much for joining me. This is the final episode for 2020 and it is a year that has been an absolutely enormous one for this podcast, not to mention being a pretty big year for the whole world. I mean, I think there might have been one or two major events that affected us all, but you know, not sure. <laughs> so this week I'm going to be taking a bit of a different approach than usual by looking back at some of the lessons for all of us from 2020, looking ahead at things to think about in terms of your mental health in 2021, and I'm answering a number of questions submitted by listeners from around the world in my first Ask Me Anything session. Now, before I begin today, I want to take a minute or so to share some news. This week, I have a huge announcement to make, and it's something that I shared with subscribers of my mailing list a couple of weeks ago. When you join my mailing list at letstalkaboutmentalhealth.com.au forward slash subscribe, you get to find out about stuff like this at least a week before anyone else. So why not head over and sign up for free? Anyway, the big news is that I'm launching a weekly Let's Talk About Mental Health show on YouTube very, very soon. Each week, I'll be posting a new episode of a chat show that will share lots of general mental health stuff, including mental health news, practical tips, and much more. Its focus will be a lot broader than this podcast, which will still continue and it will still be in the same format each week where I look at one specific aspect of mental health in detail. This will be a whole new show added on top of what I already do with this podcast. This weekly YouTube program will be starting on January the 21st here in Australia, which is January the 20th in most countries such as the US, UK and Canada, etc. If you haven't already subscribed to my YouTube channel, then head over to letstalkaboutmentalhealth.com.au where you'll find details on the front page so that you can subscribe. Or if you're on Instagram, find me at LTA Mental Health and the link in my profile will take you where you need to go. So that's my big news. Let's Talk About Mental Health is expanding with a weekly YouTube chat show. So looking forward to sharing that with you. Now, on with this week's episode. Like I said before, this week's episode is called Looking Back, Looking Forward. And I chose that name for a few reasons. Since it's the end of the year when this goes out, we often find ourselves thinking about the year that was, as well as making plans and, for some of us, resolutions for the new year. And since 2020 has been a roller coaster ride, it really did seem like a good idea to just have a bit of a chat about what we've learned, how far we've come, and what we might need to consider as we move forward into 2021. So let's start by looking back, shall we? And I don't think I need to even mention that topic of conversation that's been on all of our minds this year, COVID-19. 
This really has been a year unlike any other. And of course, there have been lots of other things going on as well. For example, here in Australia, we started the year already dealing with major bushfires that had been going on for a few months at that stage, and it went from bad to worse really quickly. And then, of course, coronavirus showed up at a party that it wasn't invited to and turned all of our lives upside down overnight. With everything that's gone on in the world this year, it's easy to become exhausted just due to the weight of constant worry and fear that descended on most of us. Just as it's easy to become cynical when you see the rampant stupidity and selfishness of some people around the world and the continued rise of bigotry and hatred on social media and in the real world. So what I'm about to say may surprise you, but hear me out. I believe that 2020 has been a really good year. Now, some of you are probably in shock and others might be ready to yell at me and your feelings are totally valid. But again, hear me out. It's been a good year because even though shitty stuff has happened and we've all been living with constant fear and anxiety, this year has served to highlight what matters most in life. And it has also exposed all of those things that no longer work in our society, from political systems and financial approaches through to environmental vandalism and more. If there's one thing that most of us can hopefully agree on, it's that things need to change. Let me say upfront that it is absolutely horrible that so many people have suffered with illness and that so many have died. And I've had some of you who have reached out to me and mentioned that you've lost loved ones this year. And to all of you, please know you have my deepest sympathy. And then, of course, there's the financial impacts of the pandemic and the social and personal impacts. You know, even just things like I've mentioned before about the fact that my mother has moved into a nursing home. She's been in there for several months. I have not been able to go and visit her and You know, these things have been horrendous for so many of us and they've taken us away from our loved ones and caused pain and suffering. And of course, in each situation, we could just focus on the negative or we can choose to look for opportunities in even the darkest of circumstances. The opportunity presented to every single one of us on this planet this year is the opportunity to grow. Do you choose to fight and resist change, which is happening whether you like it or not? Or do you choose to grow? This year has served to force us to focus on what truly matters. And for most of us, that has meant the people that we love and care about the most in the world. The thing about change is that true and meaningful change is rarely easy. It often hurts and it can require you to go through a total metamorphosis. You know, a butterfly larvae doesn't just magically grow wings overnight and become a butterfly. It goes into a cocoon where it undergoes a complete transformation at the cellular level before it emerges as something new. And that is not a simple or quick process. Transformation takes time and patience. And the thing about transformation is that once you start, you cannot go backwards. And that is quite possibly the toughest lesson for most of us to accept about 2020. You cannot have the amount of transformative change we've had thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic and then just magically go back to the way things were. Why? Because life doesn't work like that. You cannot unknow everything that you have learnt and experienced during these 12 months. And you cannot possibly continue on without being changed by it in some way, even if you're not prepared to admit it to yourself or to others. And that might mean feeling the pull to connect more closely with those that you care about. That might mean having a new fire within you, driving you to achieve your goals and turn your dreams into reality. That might mean looking for greater security. Whatever it is, it requires you to be willing to not just accept change, but to embrace it completely and unconditionally. 
And so that leads into the looking forward part of today's episode. And hopefully it should be no surprise that I'm not about to say that 2021 is going to be the year when things magically go back to normal because there is no going back. We cannot be unchanged by all of this. And that is a good thing. It's your choice whether that results in your growth or if you find yourself stuck in the past. And that's something I talked about extensively back in episode 37, growth. I mean, I don't want to focus this whole episode on COVID, but it's kind of like, you know, the elephant in the room in terms of the biggest thing that happened in 2020. But, you know, even with vaccinations beginning to roll out in many countries, it's not a magic cure. And it will also take time to make enough of an impact so that we can see infection rates begin to slow down significantly. And so we must be patient and take things one day at a time while we focus on what we can do to use these experiences to help each of us become the best version of ourselves possible. I say let's not rush to try to get back to the way things were because A, there was a lot of stuff that was broken and which needed to be challenged and still needs to be challenged and B, we cannot go backwards no matter how much we might try. And so my advice for looking forward to 2021 is this, take the time to think about your priorities and decide how you're going to focus on what really matters every single day. I explored reflection in episode 12 and new beginnings in episode 13. So check those out if you'd like to explore this topic further, which I do recommend. The thing is that in times of uncertainty, we can often find ourselves having more questions than answers, which is an uncomfortable place to be in. However, I have to believe that the more of us who focus on doing no harm, being kind and giving more than we take, the better off we'll all be as we move forward one step at a time into the great unknown that is our future. And so speaking of questions, a few weeks ago I announced that I would be doing my first Ask Me Anything segment in this final episode for 2020, and I was really fortunate to receive lots of wonderful questions from many of you around the world. Now I'm not able to answer every single one, this will be a very long program, but I'm going to go through as many as I possibly can. So let's jump in. So the first question is from Annie from Las Cruces in New Mexico, USA. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And Annie asks, could you address intrusive thoughts, more specifically the toll that they can have on someone's mental health and life and how to move past them? So hi, Annie. Look, intrusive thoughts can happen to anyone and it describes when particular thoughts get stuck in your mind and sometimes they can be upsetting in nature. The thing is that your thoughts are not fact and they have no power unless you give them power. Half the time, the stuff that pops into our heads is so random that if we paid attention to all of it, I think we'd never leave the house. Our minds do some odd things, and that includes thinking about things that we might not consciously choose to think about. To quote an article from Healthline, as long as you recognize that these are thoughts only and you have no desire to act on them, intrusive thoughts aren't harmful. Intrusive thoughts can be a sign of conditions including anxiety, depression, eating disorders, PTSD, and obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD. So in terms of dealing with them, look, it's important to work with your doctor, especially if you are experiencing other symptoms like poor sleep, self-harm, etc. And doing so means that you can work together to identify the possible cause and then devise a treatment plan together. I think in general, if you can learn to observe your thoughts and label them objectively, you will find that over time they have less and less of an impact on you. Just remember, you are not your thoughts, you are what you choose to do with them. So my next 
two questions come from Nye from Denver, Colorado in the US and Karen from Canberra in Australia. And I've put them together. They are slightly different, but they're similar. So Nye has asked, I have someone I love a lot with depression and in their worst days, I never know how to react to help them out. What advice can you give? And Karen has asked, do you have any advice for partners of people with anxiety? So it's wonderful to have questions like this because part of this show is about helping people to better understand mental health in general, not just if you're experiencing an issue yourself. And so when our loved ones are open to being supportive, it can make an enormous difference. Now, I decided to combine these two questions because even though we're talking about two different conditions, the advice is the same. So first, educate yourself as much as possible. So do research, read, watch videos, etc. Just please go and find quality resources that are based on scientific fact. Don't try to learn from Facebook University where there's a conspiracy theory for everything. Second, understand that there is no one-size-fits-all when it comes to mental health issues, as we're all unique, and so we experience issues like anxiety and depression in our own unique ways. Third, in general, be understanding. One of the most common things about these types of conditions and others is that we can have good days, bad days, average days, meh days, and just outright terrible days. So just take things one step at a time. That leads to point number four, which is ask what support you can offer and let them know that you're there for them. And do that often. You Look, the thing is, they know. If you've said it once or twice, they know. But it's easy to forget, especially when you're having a really tough time. And it also feels good to know that somebody is in your corner all of the time. And then my final point is probably the most important, which is to treat them no differently to the way that you would treat others. They are not their condition, they are just a person who also happens to be experiencing a mental health issue. I hated being treated with kid gloves during the worst of my depression and anxiety, and I could see that some people just didn't know what to do with me because I wasn't the same outgoing version of myself that I used to be. But that was mainly because I was drunk most of the time to deal with social situations when I was actually in a lot of pain. So treat them with respect, but treat them no differently than you would anybody who is not experiencing a mental health issue to your knowledge. I think the most important thing here is that for both of you, you're asking how you can support the person that you care about. And that is the greatest way that you can help being fully committed to being supportive. So thanks for those questions. The next one is from Mel in Sydney, Australia, who asked when you are listening to someone speaking about something that bothers them and it's similar to or the same as what you've witnessed them themselves do before. How do you approach this delicately enough to pull them up on it without hurting or embarrassing them? And this one continues on because I think it's about support and being honest with someone in a caring and thoughtful way, which is one of the most loving things that you can do, even if they may not necessarily see it that way immediately. I think there are two key things to consider here. Number one is that you have to decide how willing you are to accept conflict if it happens, because not everybody will take this sort of feedback well. If you believe that getting the message across kindly is more important than any potential conflict, then I believe that it's a sign to proceed. And second, think about what you're going to say before you say it. The difference in how the message is received is often in the wording used. For example, saying something like, you know, I've heard you say this so many times before, is quite hurtful. Whereas something like, I've noticed this situation has come up a few times for you now, and I'm wondering if you're aware that it's happening. What can I do to support you in dealing with this? That's still quite direct, and it might not feel comfortable for everybody, but I think as long as you remain kind and objective, you'll be fine. It's even worthwhile starting with something like, look, I don't want to embarrass you. However, I've noticed that, and then go from there. Being non-judgmental and offering support are the most important things to remember here. 
So next, Ellie from Perth in Australia says, I have a friend that my boyfriend hates. Whenever I see him, I'm afraid I'm going to end up in a fight with my boyfriend, which often happens. I'm exhausted. It's been two years already. I tried everything, but I'm not giving up my friendship. So hi, Ellie. Well, look, that sounds like a really tough situation. And unfortunately, our partners aren't always going to like all of our friends. But provided nobody is hurting anyone, which you did specify in your message that they're not, then I have to think that this is really about your boyfriend and the choices that he's making. If I were in your position, I would set very clear boundaries with him in terms of letting him know that you will not accept it because you are, as you say, exhausted. So in terms of boundaries, check out episode 53, which is all about boundaries. And let me just say that your choice of friends is yours and yours alone. So set your boundaries, be clear and kind, but stick to your boundaries. Good luck. The next question comes from Janet in Fredericksburg, Virginia, in the US. Janet asks, do you have any suggestions or knowledge of what ghosting does to a person and how to get through it? Maybe you can address the torment ghosting does to the ghostee and why it is so hurtful. So hi, Janet. I certainly do have something to say about ghosting. And in fact, I've been talking about this a fair bit lately in a few episodes because I think it's just a really shitty thing to do to someone. Now that said, I'm not innocent in this. I've had times in the past where I've decided enough is enough and I've cut off contact with people. However, in my case, I'd say 98% of the time I've made it very clear why I'm doing it. It's just that giving people a chance to change thing that I have to admit I kind of struggle with. I'm one of those people where if you piss me off one time too many, I am done. Anyway, you didn't ask about me, so let me answer your question instead. Being ghosted absolutely sucks, but it's not about you. The other person clearly wants to avoid confrontation, even if that just means telling you why they cannot or will not speak to you any longer. And the reality is, if that's what they're like, then it is what it is. I'm sorry to be so blunt, but I don't know how else to say it. The other week, I got a message from someone who I've only heard from one other time this year after she stopped replying to my messages, and it was only because she wanted something. And when I got this message the other week, at first I was angry, and it reminded me of all of those what did I do wrong and what's wrong with me feelings that I went through, and which can be triggered for so many of us when this shitty behavior called ghosting happens. But the reality is that other people will do what other people will do. And all we can control is what we do or say, as well as what we do with our feelings. So my advice is to focus on letting go. I know, easier said than done, but it is in your best interest to fully let go. Now, you went into a lot of detail in your message, and to me, that indicates that you're still processing it and trying to understand it. And you might not want to hear this, but you're probably never going to fully understand what happened. The good news is that you don't have to, and in fact, you can do the work to reach a place of acceptance, even if years later you're still thinking, what the hell was that all about? If you're feeling stuck, work with a therapist or counsellor who can help you to get right down to the core of what's keeping you stuck so that you can address that. And if it's particularly traumatic for you, then work with someone who specialises in trauma. Ghosting hurts, but Janet, you are going to be okay. So my next question is from Flora in Vancouver, Canada. Flora asked, what to do if grief from losing a loved one, for example parents, is lingering for years? I've talked a lot about grief throughout 2020 and I covered it back in episode 26 and as I was preparing this episode, a recent song started playing on my HomePod, which was on shuffle, called Feel Something, which features Duncan Lawrence, who won the 2019 Eurovision Song Contest. I'm sure by now I've mentioned a few times how much I'm obsessed with Eurovision. If not, brace yourselves as we head towards May. Anyway, I'm not just bringing this up randomly. There is a lyric in that song that goes, pain is what happens with leftover love. 
that I really relate to. And the thing is that there is no time limit on grief. For some of us, it takes months. For others, it takes years. We all adjust at our own pace. And the thing that we need to be aware of is that we don't magically heal from grief or just get over it, especially in the case of a profound loss like a parent, partner or close friend or relative. I think it's more of a case of learning how to live with the grief. It's always there in some form or another. You just learn over time how to adjust to it, and then it slowly becomes less intense. However, there is actually a condition called prolonged grief disorder, or PGD, which may affect roughly 10% of people dealing with bereavement. And it involves being so profoundly affected by the loss for 6 to 12 months or more that it's very difficult to focus on or care about other things. Now, there are many different symptoms in terms of both mental and physical health. Prolonged grief can affect your immune system and cause issues like hypertension, cardiac problems, and even potentially cancer. Now, I'm not saying that to scare anybody. However, I'm also not going to sugarcoat this. We can so often forget or ignore the fact that our minds and our bodies are interrelated. So mental health issues can have a serious impact on your physical health and vice versa. So Flora, to answer your question, if your grief is severe and you indicate that it has been lingering for years, my recommendation is that you need to talk with your doctor or see a professional, whether online or in person, who specializes in grief. I don't know what action you have or haven't already taken. And let me say no disrespect to generalist therapists or counselors, but when you're dealing with something as serious as long-term grief, I think it's really important to work with someone who can guide you through your journey towards learning how to live with your grief. So that's where a grief counselor in particular may be an appropriate step for you. This stuff will take time. It will take work. It will probably hurt like hell, but you're going to be okay. Moving on, and again, I'm combining two questions into one response here. The first question came from Anna in Brisbane, Australia, who asked, what can we do when despite the many strategies learned, we just don't want to do anything? Can't face a journal, meditate, even when exercising, you're not giving it your all. And also Joshua from Sydney, Australia said, how do I try and not fall back into my old ways of depression, anxiety, and substance abuse while I am off work? I used to see a counsellor, but no longer do due to financial difficulties, and I don't feel that FaceTime counselling is effective. What would you suggest is the best way to get back on my feet? So thank you both for those questions. And I think broadly they relate to, I interpret them anyway, as relating to that feeling of being stuck or looking at sort of where to go to from here. Anna, for your question, usually at this point, I say find what works for you because we each have our own preferences. However, if you're indicating that nothing is working for you in terms of self-care strategies, then it's time to see a professional for support if you haven't already. Without knowing your broader situation, I obviously can't pinpoint what might be going on. However, I know for myself that when I had zero motivation for anything at all, it turned out to be severe depression and anxiety. That doesn't mean that that's what's happening in your case. I'm just sharing my personal example. Losing interest in activities that were once pleasurable is a common sign of depression. So regardless of what you may or may not be experiencing, I would say it's time to go and see someone as soon as possible. If you're already working with a professional, talk to them about not wanting to do anything in terms of self-care or not feeling motivated because there's a much deeper conversation to be had about what's really going on. What you're describing is most likely a symptom of a much deeper issue. So go and talk to your doctor and or a therapist as soon as possible. So leading on to that with Joshua's question, similar to what I said to Anna, it's about finding what works for you. And if nothing is working, then something's got to give. 
I understand that you're not a fan of using video conferencing for counseling. However, you need to find something that you can do rather than focusing on what you cannot or will not do. Elsewhere in your message, you mentioned using my podcast as a time to reflect, which is fantastic. But you're right in saying it's not a way to release what you have bottled up. You need to find an outlet. What this is is up to you. You can journal to get your feelings out, or if you're more physical, then maybe go somewhere remote and scream at the top of your lungs, or whatever it is that works for you. But if you want my blunt advice, then it's to see a professional, whether that's online or in person. I know the cost can be prohibitive, and although we're fortunate in this country to have a number of sessions covered by our Medicare universal healthcare system, there can often be out-of-pocket expenses on top, or it takes ages to get in to see someone. Or if you want to see a counsellor, you're not eligible to use Medicare because they only recognise psychologists and psychiatrists. Anyway, so on and so forth. There are a thousand potential roadblocks, including cost, but it's important that you address this stuff. So if you need to see someone, then you need to find a way to make that happen. When I had my breakdown and then could no longer work, I had to absolutely scrape together every last dollar I could find to afford just a few sessions with the psychologist. But I'm glad I did because it saved my life. I hope you're able to find a way that works for you and I will leave it with you to decide what that looks and feels like. So my next question comes from Wenmi in Lagos, Nigeria, and it is how do you function in a society that kills its own citizens? And let me just say first that this one made me stop in my tracks and I genuinely did not know how to respond at first. So I had to sit with it for a little while before I could even begin to approach some kind of answer. We so often get caught up in our day-to-day lives and are focused on the world immediately around us that we forget that there are many, many people living in fear of genocide or democide every single day around the world. And often it's due to some aspect of themselves that they cannot change. Their heritage, skin tone, sexual orientation, religious or cultural background, and so on. One me, and I hope that I'm pronouncing that correctly, let me say that living in constant fear is obviously incredibly dangerous for your mental health, and it can have serious long-term effects on your physical health as well. There's only so long that our bodies can function at a heightened state of fear before it starts to have a negative impact on our organs, etc. It's tough for me to give specific advice on this other than to say that you need to decide what is right for you. If that means deciding to leave and finding safety elsewhere, then that is an option. Just as much as finding a way to adapt to the situation is an option. Only you can decide what's right for you. But let me say that the idea of being the best version of yourself, which I talk about all the time in this show, isn't just some fanciful idea for decadent Westerners in countries like Australia, but it's a basic human right for all of us. Sadly, we're a long way off that ideal being the reality for all of us, but that doesn't mean that it's not possible. Every single time someone stands up and rejects fear, we get one step closer. I wish you all the very best with everything, and my heart is with you. Keep taking your own steps, whatever they may be, one day at a time. Okay, so my next piece is, again, two questions that have been combined into one. So Yash from Seattle in the USA and Becky from Hull in the UK have asked the following questions. Yash asked, My parents were narcissistic and controlling when I was small, and I think I am like them. It has severely affected my relationship with people throughout my life. I'm 24 now, and I have friends, but I don't think I have a meaningful relationship with anyone. How do I form one? And Becky asked, I recently split from my fiancé due to how I was treating him because of my mental health. I have narcissistic traits. I'm trying to come to terms with the breakup and I want to change, but I don't know how. Do you have any advice? 
So first, let me say to both of you that the fact that you are asking what you can do to change is an excellent sign of your self-awareness. And it's something that's not present in a lot of narcissistic people. And it's the hardest thing to address, so you're doing well. Look, it's best to see a doctor or therapist to discuss your traits and what you want to focus on. And let me say that it may actually be one of a number of conditions rather than narcissistic personality disorder. So it does require a proper diagnosis. Regardless, dealing with the type of issues that you've both mentioned really do need to be worked through with a professional therapist or counsellor who can help you to dig into the root cause of your challenges and identify different approaches that may work for you given your preferences and personality type. So I wish I could give you some more, hey, try this type of ideas, but there is some stuff that really needs to be worked through with a professional. Again, though, the fact that you want to make positive changes is absolutely brilliant. And so stay focused on that as you take these next steps. You will be fine with time, effort and perseverance. And then the final question that I'll be covering today comes from Alan, who I'm not sure where Alan's from, um, you forgot to mention, but Alan mentions that he battles schizophrenia every day, but is doing well. The biggest obstacle I face now is bigotry, stigma, abuse due to gossip about my private medical condition. Would you be able to do something on discrimination and bigotry towards mental illnesses, please? Hi, Alan. And all I have to say is, ugh, stigma. Look, it's ridiculous that it's 2020 and we still have to deal with this nonsense, but we also have to deal with a whole bunch of unenlightened bullshit in the world. So it's hardly a surprise that there are people who behave like complete and utter assholes towards someone experiencing a mental illness. And Alan, that's the thing. You're never going to please all of the people all of the time. And their small-mindedness speaks volumes to the kind of person that they are, so to hell with them. You focus on being the best version of yourself possible by doing no harm, being kind and giving more than you take. And if someone wants to give you shit for being who you are, then remove that person from your life or remove yourself from that situation. It's like what I do in this podcast. I know that not everyone is going to like my work and that's fine because I'm too busy focusing on the people who do like what I do and who connect with my work. I've used this in a previous episode, no idea which one, I think I've lost count at this point, but just remember that Dieter Von Tees quote, you can be a delicious ripe peach and there will still be people in the world that hate peaches. And actually, I think I'll leave that there because it's basically my reflection quote for the end of the episode. So best of luck with everything. So a big thank you to everyone who submitted questions. And even if that wasn't one of your questions, I hope that you found this quite useful. Let me know what you think. I'd love to hear your feedback. And it's something that I'm toying with the idea of doing more of in the future, probably over on my YouTube show. So finally, I just want to finish by saying that as rough as this year has been, and I've shared a lot of my personal struggles that I've dealt with this year, I am eternally grateful for what this year has brought me, including people like you who take the time each week to listen to this podcast. In the first week of 2020, I had a total of 434 listens. Now, at the end of the year, I average roughly 7,000 weekly listens, and I have people listening in over 100 countries around the world. And if that is not something to be grateful, then I don't know what is. So thank you very much for being part of my audience in 2020, and I'm so excited to see where 2021 will be taking Let's Talk About Mental Health. So each week I like to finish up by sharing a quote about the week's topic and I encourage you to take a few moments to really reflect on it and consider what it means to you. This week's quote is by the American politician William Jennings Bryan and it is, Destiny is not a matter of chance, it is a matter of choice. Let me repeat that. <laughs>
Destiny is not a matter of chance, it is a matter of choice. Alright, that's nearly it for this week. Next week I'll be talking about well-being. As that will be the first episode of 2021, I'll be continuing my focus on things that help you to think about what you want your present and your future to look like, and how that ties into the idea of becoming the best version of yourself possible. So next week I'll be talking about what well-being is, why it's important for good mental health, and how to improve your well-being every single day. I hope you'll join me for that episode, which will be released in the morning of Monday the 4th of January in the Asia-Pacific region, including Australia, the evening of Sunday the 3rd of January in the UK, Ireland, Europe, Africa and the Middle East, and the afternoon of Sunday the 3rd of January in the US, Canada, Central America and South America. Visit letstalkaboutmentalhealth.com.au for past episodes, including audio links and full transcripts. And while you're there, join the Let's Talk About Mental Health mailing list to have exclusive updates land in your inbox. Those of you on my email list find out about new stuff at least a week before anybody else. And there are quite a few big things coming up in 2021. So if you like this show, then sign up at the website letstalkaboutmentalhealth.com.au. You can also find Let's Talk About Mental Health on Instagram, Pinterest and Facebook at LTA Mental Health, where I post extra content throughout the week. And if you are listening to this episode just before the new year, I wish you a safe and happy new year. Thank you very much for joining me today. Look after yourself and make a conscious effort to share positivity and kindness out into the world because you get back what you put out. Take care and talk to you next time.